You're listening to The Fret Files, the guitar repair podcast with Eric Daw. It's a show about guitar repair and things relating to guitar repair. This is episode number three, March 2014. And you can visit me online by going to fretfiles.com. You can participate in the show, and I hope you will, by going to ericdaw.com and clicking on the uh, contact link. Send me an email. Send me a tech question. I will read your question on the air and answer it as part of the show. You can also call me. Um, I've set up a uh, a voicemail that you can call, and it's nobody's going to answer it. You've heard the spiel before. Just give just call the number seven five seven 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 four eight four eight two. Leave me a message, and I will use your question or comment as part of the show. And you know, I'd love to hear from. Um, I'm I'm hearing mostly from players, which is great. I love it. I'd love to hear from uh, some of you repair guys and techs out there. Give me some feedback on uh, things that you'd like to add to the show or um, comments about uh, some of the topics we cover. I'd love to, you know, I'll, I'll plug your I'll plug your shop. Uh, I'd love to uh, to have you participate. So, episode number three. You know. I uh, I thought I would do a a tool review, and what better tool to review than an an actual fret file? <laughs> this is the fret files podcast, right? So, uh, you know, I broke down and I ordered a um, a diamond fret file. Most files, you know, they they have a, they have jagged teeth and they're just uh, hardened steel, um, but they sell a an, an industrial diamond-coated fret file. And if you don't know what a fret file is, it's a, a long, thin file where the cutting edge has like a uh, a half-moon, you know, an, an, an indentation so that you can file the fret and and put a round top back on the fret. And most of the, you know, most most of the files are just a traditional ridged metal file they only cut one direction you know on the push and the cool thing about a diamond file is not only does it cut faster but it it cuts both directions so when you push and when you pull it cuts big time saver and i've had them before i've used them before um but i've just been using my old traditional files for a while now and i thought especially with how bad my freaking shoulder hurts from doing uh from doing fret levels i'll day long, uh, that I thought I would get, I'd break down and buy a, um, a diamond fret file from Stuart McDonald, 
Guitarkit.com. They sell all kinds of guitar tools. If uh, if you haven't checked out their website, that's a real rabbit hole. Have fun. If you've never been there, I assume I, I assume that most people uh, that listen to this show have. But check out StuartMcDonald.com. It's they've got crazy products. Uh, so I broke down, ordered this fret file. It was almost a hundred bucks. That's a lot for a file, and I was really excited to get it and to start using it because I haven't had a diamond file for a, a quite a while now. And I did about three fret levels with it before the abrasive surface started coming off. Yeah. You know, for a $100 file, you would think that they would have a uh, a better lifespan than that. I mean, this is supposed to be kind of a, I mean, it's kind of a lifetime file. Well, not lifetime, but it should last. I mean, in a professional situation, it should last years and years. I got three fret levels out of it. And then the diamond, the industrial diamond coating, just was started to wear off in patches. Just big bald spots on the on the file. Pretty much rendered it useless. So I was disgusted, and I went to Stuart. And I've talked to Stuart McDonald on the phone before, and and I gotta tell you, they're not the most helpful people. They're I don't know if it's an East Coast thing or wh- I don't know what it was or or just failure to communicate. But whatever the deal was. Uh, I found it difficult <laughs> to deal with them. So I just went to their website and filled out a review and basically just gave it, you know, one star and said, this file is garbage. <laughs> it's $100. And I used it three times. And uh, they immediately contacted me and said, man, we are so sorry. Please send it back and we'll send you a brand new one. So I thought, great, let's do that. So they sent me a um, a shipping label. So I just I just had to put it in a box and 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 drop it off at the post office. I didn't even need to pay to send it back. And they sent me out a replacement free of charge, and um, it works great. I've done about twenty fret levels with it so far, and it's still going strong. Still looks like new. So I think I just got a defective one, you know. But in the meantime. The review that I left for them uh, has not been posted, so it does make me wonder how many negative reviews they get on their website that just don't get posted, and, and I can't really blame them, you know. I mean, they've got a, they, they're going to police their own website, and uh, they can't just be uh, posting every negative review they get, I suppose. So when you read their reviews, take that with a grain of salt. Um, yeah. Not all negative reviews get posted, I happen to know for a fact. But I don't mean to complain about Stuart McDonald. Pretty much everything I've ever bought from them was awesome. They are a little pricey, but where else are you going to go? There, There's a few places like Luthier's Mercantile and uh, what's it called? Brown's Guitar Supply Shop or something like that. I don't know. There's a bunch of them, but Stumac is the one that I usually go to for tools. And uh, yeah. That's the first time they've ever let me down, but it was momentary. They sent out a replacement, lightning fast, and uh, so all's well that ends well. So that's my tool review. Well, let's go to the mailbag. I get a lot of uh, emails and letters, so here we go. Yep, stacks and stacks of letters. You know, that's from the old uh, Perry Como TV show way before I was born. 
Please don't sue me, Perry Como. I, he's dead, isn't he? They wouldn't sue me for using that. Come on. There's no way. I don't know. So, this is from TD. And TD says, Hey, Eric, I've been a fan since you set up my three guitars, Yamaha Acoustic, Les Paul, and Strat. I listened to your podcast today, and I'm stoked for you. Seems like a solid show. Hmm, thanks, dude. If you're looking for a builder to interview, my brother-in-law might be a good fit. He's a seasoned veteran and has built some amazing guitars. He's currently doing some interesting work with KISS. Uh-oh. www.caraguitars.com. C-A-R-A guitars.com. Let me know if I can help make a connection with Jimmy. Looking forward to episode three. Well, here it is, TD. And I checked out your brother-in-law's website, and I was a little hesitant because you mentioned KISS, and I'm afraid. (laughs) You know, I I have kind of a theory. Pointy guitars is probably okay. Long hair is probably okay, but if your band has pointy guitars and long hair, I mean, think about it. Uh, Led Zeppelin, long hair, their guitars are not pointy. That's a band that rocks, right? Uh, How about um, Albert King? He has a pointy guitar, but his hair is short, right? Now, he plays an old Flying V. Now, that's good music. Um... Motley Crue, long hair, pointy guitars, bad music. You see? You see where I'm going with this? So, I mean, take, like, there are bands, and you can, you can, uh, you can sort this out. Like, for example, um, Van Halen. You would think that they, that I would not like Van Halen, right? But you apply my logic here, long hair, right? But their guitars really aren't pointy. That's that's a good band. Huh? Do you like my uh, my parameters? This is pretty easy. You know, you don't even have to think about it. You just apply my uh my rules. Uh so kiss, long hair, pointy guitars and makeup. No, this is bad. Uh any band that wears makeup like that in, unless you're Al Jolson and even even then uh, I don't know. I don't think that's a good thing. If you're painting your face like some kind of juggalo, like some kind of insane clown uh, posse member, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not into it. Anyway, I went to the website, and I was impressed, dude. He's making cool guitars, and I'm not talking about the ones that he made for Kiss. They're shaped like battle axes and stuff. I don't really care about that. But some of his other stuff is like hot rod uh you know, pin-up, uh, pin-striped. It's cool. He's do- he's doing some cool stuff. I was impressed. So I have a list about as long as my arm of people that I am dying to interview. So um, I'll put him on the list, but it might be a while be- before I get there. So, But thanks for the email, and uh, I was impressed with that website. He's, he's doing cool stuff, for sure. This letter is from Zach. Zach has uh, participated in the podcast before. Eric, I just listened to episode two and heard my call. Thanks for putting me on the show. You're welcome, Zach. Another great episode. I always appreciate all your help. Here's a question for a future episode. Fender P50 
P-Bass setup. I'm setting up an 80s Japanese Fender Squire P-Bass for the bass player in my band. I have it set up according to Fender spec, but the strings are hitting the pickups and frets, and there's a clacking sound that can be heard when he plays live and especially when we record. Here are a couple of factors. Joe plays with his fingers and pulls harder than anyone I've ever seen. He does not slap, but it would have to be in the same realm. His playing style is aggressive for sure, nothing subtle about it. The frets on the bass are absolutely hammered. There are giant grooves in the lower register frets from all four strings, especially the E. The level crown and polish is out of the question. There would be nothing left to crown after the level. Also, I don't think a refret would be money well spent on this piece. I know some basses are fretless. I'm wondering how big of a deal this is with his playing style. Factor three, Joe is one of those guys that can grab almost any bass guitar and play the heck out of it, make it sound great, regardless of quality or setup. I'm personally more bothered by this situation than he is. He is the best true bass player I've ever played with. I've added some extra relief to the neck, raised the bridge saddles a bit, and lowered the pickups a bit, and I'm still not there. Do you have any tips or suggestions? Perhaps some slap bass setup specs? I've looked around on the internet, and I've not found much on this topic. Thanks again for all your help, Zach. Well, yeah, thanks for uh, participating in the show. I'm always I'm always glad to help you. Um, you know, I would tend to to tell you that heavier strings and higher action are going to be about the only thing that's going to help you in this situation. And if the if the strings are hitting the pickup, then um, the pickup is just too close. I mean, there's no question. Even if he's got a super aggressive playing style, the strings should not be clacking against the pickup. There's just... that. Yeah, that's just unacceptable. Especially if you're trying to record. Yeah. So, lower the pickups, raise the action... I mean, you know, heavier strings. If the frets are toast, the frets are toast. There's just not, you know, not much I can recommend. Uh, I mean, you know, unless you want to get into... Uh, I know Zach does some tech work. Maybe it's time to uh, buy some fret tools and, and attempt a refret. Anyway, thanks for the question, Zach. Here is an email that I was proud to get. It says, just a note from an old Tilly picker. This is from Old Fuzzy. I saw and heard you on YouTube playing an old 60s twin and 60s Tilly, and after countless hours, even years of searching YouTube, I finally heard my past and the sound I love. Thank you for that, Old Fuzzy. And uh, I don't even think he knows I knows that I am doing a podcast, but I just had to read that because I know who Old Fuzzy is, and you do too if you're a telly freak. And I was really proud that he emailed me. So thanks, Old Fuzzy. That really made me happy. So that's, uh, there's no other reason than than for me uh, bragging to, to read that question to you. <laughs> so that's me bragging. Alrighty. Here's another question from Cam. Have you ever felt the urge to go into a thrift store for the sole purpose of buying an old electronic device with the hope that, upon dissection, you will be able to harvest one or more vintage potentiometers that can be salvaged for guitar repair? Cam. Oh, Cam. This is so on point. You know, 
Yes, yes, I absolutely do. I'm always looking for old electronics to salvage pots and capacitors from. And uh, you mentioned thrift stores. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I'm not if I'm not hanging out with my family or fixing guitars, I'm in a thrift store. I go a half a dozen times a week, at least, to a couple different thrift stores. Always looking for guitars, always looking for old electronics, always looking for, um, yeah, things to, so that I can salvage old pots from and caps, absolutely. You know, some of those vintage pots and caps, if you search eBay and look at, um, like, do a uh, uh, eBay search, NOS potentiometer telecaster or something like that, man, you'll be amazed. Sometimes a guy will want a hundred bucks for a, a a pair of pots that came out of a fifties telly. A hundred bucks for pots, yeah. And uh, well, the thing about fifties pots is they just don't make them anymore. <laughs> they haven't made them for a good uh, sixty four years now. So, um, yeah, you know, I can't. Yeah, absolutely, I do. And it's it's really hard to get good pots. I was just talking to. My amp guru, amp tech, Mr. Brent Bagby, about this just the other day. You can't get good pots anymore. And I'm talking about potentiometers. <laughs> uh, you can't get good pots anymore. They're just, they don't exist. Even CTS, right? Uh, an industry standard. Chicago Telephone Service is what CTS stands for. Well, guess where they're made? Not Chicago. Not anymore. About five, six, seven years ago, they moved to Taiwan. So, <sighs> good luck getting good pots, because you can't. I mean, I still I use CTS, even though they're Taiwanese. They're still about the best you can get for, you know, five bucks or so. They make some in in uh, in Canada. They're like, what are they called, Alessandro or something like that? Uh, and they're a little blue plastic box with some little solder tabs on there, but. They're really made to be PCB mounted, and you can't just throw them in a guitar. I don't know. They just they look goofy, and the solder tabs are flimsy. They're good pots. They're sealed, but they're plastic. They're I don't know. I can't use them. I just can't bring myself to use them. They're supposed to be really good, but whatever. Next letter. This is from Craig. Hi, Eric. Interesting podcast you are getting off the ground here. Well, thanks, Craig. My name is Craig. I used to hang out at your shop quite a lot. I remember you. I have bought and sold gear there and employed you once to repair a friend's old Washburn acoustic. The bridge had found its way to ripping away from the guitar. You repaired, including the ebony bridge, which literally broke. Your, yeah. your work was so flawless, I continue to send people your way. Thanks. It looked like it would have had it looked like it would have had it not broke. And even more amazing was the price. Well, let's not tell people that. I was so impressed I did not let my friend pay me back. Okay. There is a question. I just wanted to share that. Okay, cool. Thanks, Craig. Here's his question. I have a reissue thin line. It looks like it was hung on a wall at one time and the bracket gave way. It made a big chip on the bottom. 
You could actually peel it off when I got it, but I glued it down and put some extra glue on top to protect it from snagging on something. I went from 12 guitars to this one only. I love it. The chip is only cosmetic, but I found myself in a spot and tried to sell it sometime back. I showed the ding on the pictures, offered it at a low price, 400 bucks, not even one inquiry. How do I fix this without buying another body? I, too, am a talk radio fan, though I'm not sure most people care for my choices. Yeah, boy, that's how I feel, too, Craig. Yeah, well, hmm, he doesn't say what color the thin line is. Um, You know, the finish touch-up on those reissue thin lines, on those reissue fenders, are pretty easy to do, especially if it's, um, especially if it's black or, you know, uh, sunburst on the edge there. That should be easy. Uh, if it's natural, that would be easy too. The only thing, the only complicating factor is if it's like red sparkle or something. That's really, really tough to match. Or white, white's tough to match too. But uh, yeah, pretty easy to to uh, touch that up. If you wanted to uh, have me do it, I'd I'd be happy to take a look at it. But I don't know. Me, I wouldn't really worry about it. Uh, a guitar that's that much money, and you've it sounds like you've you've glued it down so that it won't chip out anymore, I'd just leave it, you know? Maybe it's a blessing that nobody bought it. It sounds like you like the guitar a lot, so... And for 400 bucks, man, it's pretty hard to find a guitar that uh, that you'll love that much. So, just stick with it. <laughs> That's my advice. Yeah. Okay, next. This question is from Gary in Bozeman, Montana. Gary wants to know, Hi, Eric. I have a recent Les Paul but the frets are getting quite worn, and I'd like to have it refretted. However, I want to preserve the nibs. Hmm, you know what nibs are, don't you? Is it possible to refret this guitar and save the nibs? Yes, it is. And, uh, you know, most I think most guitar repair guys would tell you no, or would tell you no thanks, but it is possible... If you don't know what nibs are, um, if you look at a Gibson with that has binding on the neck, when they're new, um, the way that they make that guitar, the frets extend, the metal part of the fret extends only to the edge of the rosewood, and then the binding makes up the very last section of fret. So uh, it's like a... I'll, I'll put a picture of it in the show notes. The fret doesn't actually extend all the way to the edge of the neck. Just the last little bit of fret is made up by a little hump in the binding. A little hump that just kind of makes a fret end. And the traditional way to refret a Les Paul is, uh, or any Gibson with binding on the neck that has nibs, uh, you pull out the fret, you sand off all the nibs, and then you cut the fret so that it so that the the tang or the part that goes inside the fingerboard fits just inside the binding, and then the fret will kind of overhang over the binding, and then you cut it flush with the end end of the neck. So you've got a, a metal fret that goes all the way to the end of the neck, and that's the traditional way to refret a uh, a Gibson with binding. And the reason is is because um, that's the even though that's time consuming. It's the least time-consuming method of of refretting that guitar. Uh, However, some people are really picky about the nibs, and they love the look. They love how that um, looks and feels. I guess it's more of a look than a feel. 
So、um, they want to preserve those nibs. Well, it can be done. However, you might want to be sitting down when I give you the quote because that is a lot of work. And I've done it before.、Um, especially, you know, it's especially a good option when you're just doing a partial refret on a, on a Gibson. You wouldn't want to.、Um, You wouldn't want to mix and match nibs and no nibs on a,、uh, on a Les Paul like that. So, yeah, you, what, you have to, what you have to do is trim the fret just exactly to fit in between the nibs. I mean, it's real precision work, man, because if you get a gap there at all, then your high E string, especially your high E string, is going is to catch on that little、uh, transition there between the plastic and the fret. So, it's real time consuming.、Um, And it's really expensive. So, yeah, it can be done.、Um, the other option is to rebind it. You know, that's, that's the other way to preserve the nibs,、uh, is to make new nibs. But that's not something that I would recommend.、Um, and most old Gibsons, most old Gibsons, when you play them long enough that they need a refret,、um, usually your hand has done a pretty good job of wearing off the nibs anyway. So, They're usually gone on an old Gibson, so it's, normally it's not an issue on, on something like that. But a recent Gibson, yeah, I can, I can see probably pretty healthy nibs still on there, and you want to preserve those. My question is, how bad are the frets? Because I'm, I'm betting that you could get away with a fret level. Maybe, worst case scenario,、um, having a partial refret. and then、uh, do a fret level to blend in the old with the new. So, yeah, it can be done.、Um, Where are you again? You're in Montana. Yeah. If, if it's something you wanted to have done, call me or contact me, and I, you can actually send the guitar to me from Montana. I get a lot of guys that send me work from the surrounding states Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, Oregon, Alaska, and Hawaii. I get guys sending me work from Alaska and Hawaii. Must be hard to find a guitar tech in Alaska, huh? Anyway, thanks for the question, Gary. Um, well, so I don't really have any calls to play. I, I do have one voicemail to play, but I didn't, I don't have any, um, pre recorded tech calls. I just didn't have time this month to. I'm so busy in my shop, man. You, you just wouldn't believe. Uh, at any given time, I'm usually looking at about 20 or 30 guitars that need to be repaired, and, uh, every one of those guitars has someone attached to it. Who is chomping at the bit for me to get it done? So, there's that. So, you know, I don't have much time to do this podcast. That's why I'm only doing one episode a month, man. I just don't have time to do this, right? But I'm doing it anyway because it's fun. So,、uh, no pre recorded tech calls, but I do have this call from Paul. A call from Paul in McCall, <laughs> McCall, Idaho. Take it away, Paul. Hi, Eric.、Uh, this is Paul from McCall, Idaho. I had called earlier in regards to a fender with a、uh, static problem on the pickguard, and uh, uh, I had listened to your and、uh, I really enjoy your show. I think it's fabulous and that,、uh, it's a great avenue to、uh, learn things、uh, about guitar repair. But、uh, what I'm calling about this time is I would like to follow up on what I called about earlier.、Um, I just wanted to let you know that fender, what the problem ended up being. 
because it was a new guitar, I didn't want to start opening it up and uh, void any warranty uh, stuff that may be attached with it. So I sent it back to the uh, um, shop where I bought it, and uh, they took a look at it, and their consensus was that because of the area that I live in, in McCall, we sit at 5,000 feet, and it's uh, ultra-cold and ultra-dry, uh, that the lack of humidity was giving all the static problems. So funny as it may be, they also <laughs> recommended, like I had mentioned before, uh, to rub a, uh, a dryer sheet on the pick guard, and that will alleviate the, the static sound when my finger hit the pick guard. So sure enough, I gave it a try, and uh, it worked. It worked just fine. There's no no hint of uh, uh, static at all on that thing. So anyway, I just wanted to follow up with you and let you know that uh, that humidity and uh, the dryness uh, could definitely play a role in uh, some electrical issues and discharging of you know static electricity to the amp. But uh, anyway, love your show. Hope all is well. well. Talk to you later. Bye. Well, this call is awesome for a, a couple of reasons. For one thing, I love it when when people follow up. Man, I love it when I hear back from somebody that had a, a problem. Because I, I give a lot of people advice, and then you never hear from them again, and you always wonder, hmm, I wonder how that worked out. Uh, so I love getting feedback. I really do. I mean, don't ever think you're wasting my time by giving me feedback because I love it. Uh, and the other thing about this call is that I'm really glad to follow up about this topic because, you know, I feel like I yeah, I didn't give you the best advice in the first place. Um, that weird static electricity noise uh, on a... Uh, usually it happens on fenders. Um, from the pit guard, yeah, that is a, it's a weird problem with a weird solution. Yeah, you you rub a dryer sheet on there and it goes away. I The only thing I don't like about that, and we touched on this when you called initially, the only thing I don't like about it is it just doesn't seem like a permanent solution. You know, you rub a dryer sheet on there and it goes away for a while, right? But, um... Yeah, it's bound to come back. So, um, yeah, thanks for following up. Uh, I'm glad that the dryer sheet thing worked out for you. And uh, I had a thought later about, you know, after I talked to you, I thought, you know, here's my new recommendation for, for this problem. What I think would work the best, and I haven't tried this, so uh, so I don't know, but what I think would work the best is if you take the pit guard off and cut a hole in a dryer sheet to fit around the pickup and actually put a dryer sheet between the guitar and the pit guard and just leave it in there. And uh, that is a more permanent solution. Silly, but, you know, if it works, it works. And, and nothing is, will drive you crazier than a weird little static electricity noise that, that you can't get rid of in your guitar. So... Um, yeah, I think that's a pretty good solution, and I th- I think that's what I'm going to start recommending to people. So if you try that, let me know how it worked for you, um, because that, to me, seems like it's going to be the best solution. So anyway, thanks for the call, Paul, from McCall. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, take a little break, and we'll uh, we'll come back with guitar news. So uh, stick around.
Files podcast is sponsored by Emerald City Guitars. Emerald City Guitars is the Northwest's premier vintage guitar store. In fact, it's uh, one of the world's most well-known guitar stores. We specialize in vintage gear. I say we because, hey, I work there. I'm the repair specialist. I've been there for uh, 13 years now, and uh, I do all the all the customer uh, repairs and all of the... Um, a lot of the restorations that happen on a lot of the gear that's that's uh, for sale there. You should check out Emerald City Guitars' website if you haven't. EmeraldCityGuitars.com. You will be astounded at the inventory. It is, it's really amazing, and I'm I'm blessed to work there. It's an awesome store. Uh, you should check it out. So, Emerald City Guitars, check it out. From Muncie, Indiana, is our guitar news correspondent, Red. Hi, Red. Hey, how's it going? Doing just fine. How are you? Hanging in there, you know, collecting all this great news to deliver. Yeah, good, good. I had a lot of uh, good response about the segment. Uh, People thought that it was cool. So, here we are again. What's in the news? Well, you know, I gotta tell you, you gotta watch where you buy. Um... There is a guy in Music City in Nashville, Tennessee, who is uh, importing fake Gibsons from China and trying to sell them throughout pawn shops in the Nashville area. I see this as a very, very dirty trick, especially to pull in in Music City. Yeah, that's um, that's a that's a gutsy move, you know. And it's um, I know this because I see it a lot. Uh, it's happening throughout the entire country. It's not just that one guy. I see a lot of people bring me their Gibsons to have them set up or repaired, and they are not Gibsons. I see it a lot. A, a lot of fake Chinese Gibsons out there. Do you, and do they cry when you tell them this is not a Gibson, uh, or do you just keep it a secret? Oh, I absolutely tell them. I mean, it wouldn't be right not to tell them, you know, and uh, yeah, they get, some people get kind of, upset about that as you can understand you know they just spent maybe a thousand maybe fifteen hundred bucks on what they thought was a gibson and it's really not even as good as an epiphone they the quality of those and and you can you know if you um look around on the internet you can actually order them right direct from china uh for a couple hundred bucks and they say gibson on the headstock they say made in the usa on the back of the headstock and they are not either one (laughs) they're uh absolutely a fake as a $3 bill, and the quality is not good. So buyer beware, indeed. Definitely. Well, the good thing is, is he did this, you know, uh, in broad daylight, in front of cameras, and his photo has been taken. So it's a matter of time before he is caught. But uh, players out there, keep your eye on the ball, because um, it's real easy to get taken by uh, one of these shysters. Yeah, you have to know what you're looking at and what you're looking for. And uh, I tell you, it's it's a real um, tricky thing to be buying online or to to buy on Craigslist if you don't know what you're getting into. So um, you buy from a reputable store and you won't get in that kind of trouble. So be careful. Well, speaking of people getting shysted, 
Harry Manx, he uh, finally got his baby back. He had a -a one-of-a-kind hollow body stolen from the baggage claim at the O'Hare Airport in Chicago. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Mohan Vina that's 20 years old. He had it made way back in the day, special for 100 bucks, but it's worth like $10,000 now. Oh, wow. And uh, there was some guy who was hanging out at the baggage claim. I guess that's where he likes to steal bags. And he happened to pick up this guitar case. It was a big deal on Facebook and kind of lit up uh, the social networks and turns out the detectives uh, caught the thief returning to the scene of the crime. Oh, really? And ended up finding, yeah, finding the uh, much-valued guitar and getting it back to bluesman Harry Manx. So that's a story with a happy ending. Yeah. Luckily, most criminals are dumb. (laughs) And that's the... I don't know. I, I think that there's a special place in hell for guitar thieves. That's just... That is just not right. I think there is too. There must be, and uh, yeah, I was I was heartbroken when I heard that his, um, you know, much loved and used guitar was uh, just lifted. You know, and uh, yeah, thank God for the stupidity of thieves because that was what really um, ended up catching the guy. And detectives cornered him and he revealed the location of the guitar and got it back to to mr manx so we're all happy about that good yeah i like that story so okay there is this wonderful new pickup that uh has come out on the market the royalty which you've probably heard of oh from lawler yes yes in fact i requested this story i have to admit and uh the lawler What's it called? Royal T. Yes, it's a Royal T Telecaster neck pickup, but it is the most beautiful marriage of Strat and Telecaster that you have ever heard. Yeah, it's cool. You know that it's um a lot of, and I'm a I'm a Tele freak, so I know this. Uh, the the traditional complaint with the Tele neck position pickup is that it just sounds kind of muffled, and it's a great sound, but um, it's hard to get a nice Strat sound out of that pickup. Um, and the reason is because of that that metal cover. That metal cover actually works as a filter and just filters out some of the high end. And so what they've done on this pickup is routed a neat little channel where the uh, pole pieces are exposed directly, uh, just like a Strat pickup would be. So um, it's a it's the size of a Tele neck pickup, but with Strat neck pickup tones. And I thought it was a brilliant idea. Yeah, and much better than the that muffled tone. And I know whenever I played a telly, I would often be messing with the tone knobs and messing with the amp and everything to try to compensate for that muffled sound. You yeah, know. and it's a lot better option than um, what a lot of people have done in the past is route their telly so that they can fit a strat pickup in the neck position. And you hate to see people do that. I I don't I don't like to route guitars that for things that they shouldn't be routed for. So I thought this pickup was a great idea. Yeah. Well, I want to play a sound clip here. This is the uh, Royalty Tele-Neck pickup played through a vintage blonde basement head and 212 cab.
from Lawler's website. They've got a lot of sound clips there. It's really handy to have that uh, resource. And, uh, yeah, that's a great sounding pickup. I like it. Oh, it is. And I cannot believe the clarity of the way it sounds. I mean, I am so impressed. It's it's sweet. It's just a beautiful little thing. And it's made right here in the USA, yep. you know, by hand. And it, the price is right. Yeah. Sounds good clean. Sounds good distorted. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. It is. And uh, I'm a fan of all of Lawler's pickups. I think that they do a great job, man. It's... There's, they're capturing some magic there, and as luck would have it, later in the podcast, I'm going to interview Jason Lawler himself, so stick around for that. Definitely worth a, worth a listen, for yeah. sure. I'll be, yeah. uh, I'll be there checking that out with you. Yeah. What else is new, Rad? Well, there's a lot of gear out there. It's a new year, so there's new gear, and a lot of it, you know, there's retro gear that they're trying to price up. There's, you know, anniversary versions of guitars and this and that, signature guitar out there, and they're really kind of overpriced for your general, you know, living room rocker that wants to play their guitar and rock out and have a good time, they usually don't, you know, want to spend four or $5,000 on a new piece of gear. And I ran across this uh, cute little company called Moniker that uh, will custom design guitars for anybody for a really reasonable price. And they are also uh, right here in the U.S., located in Austin, Texas. And every guitar they make is unique labeled one of one and uh so i was impressed because they look really good and um you know they're made very well very solid and they're affordable it's a piece of gear you can customize and uh, actually afford yeah it's cool i i looked at their website and it looks like every one is kind of made to what the customer orders right that's correct and will they put whatever logo on the headstock you want, or does it say moniker on the headstock? No, you can get a, a different logo. The only thing about the headstock is the shape stays the same mm-hmm. on yeah. every axe that they crank out. But you can put, uh, you can have any logo put on there right. that you request. Put your name on there or something. That's cool. What are the prices like? Oh, they range from like eight hundred to twelve hundred. I went and designed one for myself on their website, and it came out to like in between eleven hundred and twelve hundred. Um, and it was just every bell and whistle that you know I could want and, <laughs> on and a it, nice new axe, and uh, I was impressed. <clears throat> I was really impressed with what they offer, and you can't get better than. personal customization. That's cool. And they are made in America. They are made right here in America, and they do come with a different variety of Seymour Duncan pickups. And you can even, if you have special hardware that you want installed on your guitar, you can mail it to them, and they will plug it in. I I just thought it was really cool. That's cool. I do a lot of customization um, in my repair business, and... uh, I gotta say, that sounds like it could be a frustrating uh, 
a business to try to do, but I think as as long as they set their parameters right and as long as they're um as long as they have their boundaries and uh uh des- design the guitars within a certain set of parameters, I think that they uh, will do well with that. That's kind of a cool idea. It is, and they do have those parameters lined out. Um Yeah, you have to so, cuz you'll yeah. you will get people that want to install a food processor on the treble bout or or just the craziest thing you, you can imagine you you will get those people so you have to set the boundaries somewhere right right which they have but uh, i just wanted to throw that in there because i know people are always looking for new and interesting gear so yeah cool yeah got any other stories for us well, we have some guitar history. I mean, everybody probably knows that this year is the 60th anniversary of the wonderful Fender Strat that oh, yeah. so many of our favorite songs have been created on. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I just thought I'd add that late March in 1967 was when Jimi Hendrix set fire to his Strat for the first time on stage and ended up burning his fingers. (laughs) (laughs) He did? He burned his fingers? I've never heard that. Oh, yeah, he did. He had to uh, get medical treatment. He burned his hands severely. Wow. I've read a a lot of Hendrix biographies when I was younger, and I... uh... I missed that one. That's cool. Either or, or I forgot it. How about that? Maybe I forgot it. <laughs> we got a couple of really cool birthdays this month. Robin Trower turns sixty-eight on oh, wow. March 9th. So yeah. happy birthday to him! Yeah, happy birthday, Robin. Yeah, and uh, Angus Young of ACDC. He turns a big fat sixty on March thirty-first. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And uh, the last bit I want to leave you guys with, I want to leave you salivating here. Um, I know it's been talked about and hinted at for years since 2006, but the word is Tool really has finished a new album. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Yeah. They're on tour right now. Um, They are going to hit Vegas and San Diego on 15th and 16th, respectively. And um, no new tracks have been heard as of yet on their tour. But, um, you know, they're keeping it real secret until it actually, the album actually gets released. Um, So there's no title out there. Um, there's no new tracks that they're playing on stage, but uh, but the word is it's for real, for real, and they're coming out with a new album this year. There you go. That's for Tool fans. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. you know, I'm I'm glad that I'm having you do this because our tastes are are different. Well, I'm assuming that I mean you're a Tool fan, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I remember when their first album came out, and I've been digging them ever since. See, I have different tastes, you know? I mean, I like blues, I like country, I like uh, uh, a lot of rock, you know, from 50s, 60s, 70s, but Tool, that passed me by completely and entirely. Even though I was, uh, you know, like in high school when they came out, it just wasn't, it's just not what I was into. So I'm glad you're doing this with me because you bring stuff to the table that, you know, probably, I'm sure a lot of our listeners like Tool, right? Yeah. They probably think I'm a tool for not liking tool, so whatever. <laughs> um, but 
But that's what's great about having you do this is you bring stuff that I wouldn't have brought. Well, I just want to leave you with uh, some tasty morsels. Well, you certainly did that, and that's the news. Take us home, Red. This has been Red with your guitar news. See you next month. Thanks, Red. I'll be right back with an interview with Jason Lawler. Jason Lawler has been a professional luthier since graduating from Roberto Venn School of Luthiery in Phoenix, Arizona in 1975. However, his interests and expertise go well beyond building guitars. In addition to designing and producing extraordinary archtop, solid-body electric, and lap steel guitars, Jason is a noted authority on nearly everything related to electric pickups. He is the sole author of Basic Pickup Winding, and complete guide to making your own pickup winder. Jason's book has been credited as the spark that created a new movement in aftermarket and boutique pickup manufacturers. Additionally, many amateur and professional luthiers and guitar electronics tinkerers have learned a great deal about pickups using Jason's book. Even if you never plan to wind your own pickups, his book is a valuable reference for any musician interested in gaining a better understanding of tone and sound in electric instruments. Professional musicians and instrument manufacturers have increasingly turned to Jason's products to get superior sound. His client list, which includes many internationally known artists, continues to grow rapidly. And I am proud to have joining me on the phone Mr. Jason Lawler. Hi, Jason. Hi, how are you doing, Eric? Man, I'm doing great. I know you're a busy guy. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do a quick interview today. Oh, thank you. Thanks for asking me to do it. Yeah. You know, anytime I... Uh, talk to a guy who's basically devoted his, his life to to guitars like you have, um, I'm always curious what what the catalyst was, what the spark was that uh, that set you off on, on your on your guitar quest. Oh, uh, well, you know, um, I, I played uh, saxophone in grade school, and, you know, so the uh, Partridge family was kind of a big hit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, Danny Bonaducci, you know, I thought, hey, man, that's kind of a cool guy. No, you're pulling my leg. <laughs> but the saxophone wasn't that cool, I thought. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I, so I got a, a, I bought a, a, well, the first album I bought was a Jimi Hendrix on your experience, probably about 71, 72, something like that. Yeah. And that just totally blew me out of the water, was, was that album. Yeah. And uh, so I wound up buying a, a Lyle electric guitar, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, I think it's kind of, kind of was a, like a Northwest regional brand. Oh, really? Um, I didn't know yep, that. Japan. No, no wonder I see so many of those. Huh. Uh, so, um, you, I'm sure, graduated from there on to, you know, Fenders or Gibsons, right? Yeah, I, I wound up buying a, a 71 Les Paul Custom uh, a few years after that. Hmm. So, Gibsons okay. were really... Uh, where I first started getting into. And were you always kind of a mechanically minded guy? Uh, were, were you 
were you interested in how guitars worked as, as soon as you got into them? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I'd made uh, uh, flying model airplanes, you know, when I was in grade school. Oh, cool. Uh, so I had some mechanical uh, skills building stuff, and, and uh, my guitar teacher at, at the time knew some things about how a guitar should be set up, how it, you know, the neck has to have an angle. Uh, there's some geometry to it, which a lot of people don't understand at first. Yeah, yeah. He helped me out on that kind of aspect. That he helped me uh, learn how to put new tuning pegs on and, and do fret files and stuff, you know, small uh, uh, small things like that. Yeah. So from, from there, where did you go? Was it, um, uh, did you apprentice for someone or, or go to uh, uh, a school? Yeah. Well, I, I was still in, uh, like, junior high school when I started playing oh, around with, okay. with, uh, building, with uh, fixing guitars. And then when I got into high school, I, I took my shop teacher to let me try to build one. Wow. Which I actually did manage to complete. And it was, you know, it was kind of, it was pretty rudimentary, but it did, yeah. it did play and it did work. Wow. Uh, and then I went, uh, eventually I wound up going to Roberto Van School of Luthery in, uh, in Arizona in 1979. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Well, you've been at it longer than I've been alive, man, and I, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I look up to guys like you. So um, do, do you still make guitars? I, I'm sure you do. I do. I, I only make one every several years anymore. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I've had the good fortune of being able to work on a couple of the guitars you've made, and I was just astounded at the the craftsmanship. Man, nice oh, job! Wow. Yeah, thank you. You know, Emerald City was one of the first places I that uh, helped me uh, market my guitars. Oh, cool! Way back, yeah. You know, so probably before two thousand. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so at some point, um, you've turned this more into a, a enterprise of of guitar pickups, and uh, uh, what's what's the story behind that? When did you start really getting into the pickup side of things? Well, the, the thing was, I started I really started pushing my business before the internet really was happening. Yeah, and at, at that time, you to in order to get enough customers, you know, you had to like advertise in magazines and stuff, and you had to come up with creative ways to get your name out there. Sure. Including getting them into stores around the country, mm-hmm. and uh, which was quite a task to do back back then. Yeah. And um, so I thought, what would be a good way to uh, get my name out there? And, and uh, one of the things that came up was, uh, oh, I'll write a book about some aspect of guitar making. Mm-hmm. And so um, I looked around what what hadn't been written, and really the one that hadn't been written was uh, how to make guitar pickups. Yeah. And so I did that. And it wound up selling several thousand copies in the first few years. And so people started uh, calling me to make, you know, all sorts of pickups for all different kinds of applications. Oh, cool. And then it kind of, from there, it kind of morphed into me doing more standard designs like strats and tillies and humbuckers and, yeah. and uh, replacement type pickups. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm looking at uh, a copy of your book right here. I've had a copy for many years and it's I've yeah. learned a lot from it. Was that out of print now? It was for a while, but um, they started, the value of them went up to an insane amount. They were selling on eBay for $500, dollars a copy. Wow. So people started uh, bootlegging copies of it and making 
fakes. And so I just thought that was really crappy. So I, I decided, well, if I reprint it, that, that'll that'll stop all that. You know. Yeah. There won't be any any uh, initiative for it to get that high yeah. of a value. So that's what I did. Yeah, and that's available on your website, right? Yeah, it's available only on the website anymore. I don't sell it wholesale anywhere. Yeah. Um, so when did Lawler Pickups really start to, to take off for you? I was able to quit every job other job I had in 2000 and have not looked back Yeah. since then. Wow, that's so, great. Yeah. I've been uh, just a big fan of your pickups for a long time, and you've, you've become known as a, a guy that's making pickups that have kind of a magic element that a lot of companies aren't able to recreate. And, and there's kind of like this mystical... Um, uh, ethereal element to your pickups in, in a lot of people's minds that um, that don't exist in other boutique makers. I I, I, am, I assume that's by design. Well, I'm sure we do. Some things are different than than everybody else, or most other people. You know, I have my own ideas how it's supposed to be. Yeah. And I, I develop a lot of my ideas from listening to what customers had to say about what they wanted. Yeah. And and doing you know custom items for people over and over and over for the same kind of guitars, just you know listening to what they wanted and then figuring out that they fall into certain categories yeah. generally and yeah. and responding to that. So I sort of designed my whole line around what people want. Sure. Well, that makes and sense. I took the time. I took years to to do it. So one thing that you know. I think not every not every company. I, I don't think they really listen to their pickups. I know a lot of about cheat guys. That one, like one guy, for instance, he never heard his best selling pickup for like three years. I thought that's just ridiculous. That is ridiculous. <laughs> How can you do that? I don't, yeah, that's bizarre. That is bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. So we listen to everything, and and um, I'm really picky about consistency. Yeah. I build a inconsistent consistency, is what uh, I call it. One of the things I love about your website and about your pickups, you know, people will um, come to me and ask me, and, and we carry your pickups here, and they'll yeah. say, hey, what does Pickup X sound like? And I can send them right to your website, and there's great sound files uh, of, you know, here it is through a clean amp, here it is through some distortion, uh, and that's a really invaluable resource because it's so hard to to know, and it's really, really difficult to to explain what a pickup sounds like. Yes, and, and you know the, the really the, the ranch in the whole thing is that one guy can take a guitar and you know two two different guys playing the same rig can sound very different from each other. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so you have to kind of take that variable into it, but the pickup itself, we try to represent it so that you can at least get a good idea what the the pickup's really about, and then you may have some variance depending on how you play, what kind of chord inversions, how hard you hit, what your action's set up like. You yeah. Know, there's a lot of variables. Oh, yeah. And I'll have people that just want me to, to recommend a pickup for them, and I tell them, well, it's kind of like me recommending an ice cream flavor for you. Right. I, I don't really know what you're going to like, and, and what I like may not be what you like at all. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So, so hope, hope, you know, I, I've kind of developed a thing where I, I listen to what they're telling me, and I, I have some questions to to help me 
figure out what it is that they want. Yeah. And um, I try to get them to make the decision. Particular questions I ask, like, uh, you know, if they want something that sounds a little more gritty or something that's more glassy or, yeah. you know, a number of different aspects. And I'll, I'll throw out some stuff that's kind of opposite of each other and, and listen to what they say. And it kind of helps me leads me to what they're what they're really after if they if they know yeah one of the things i was really excited about that that you guys um are manufacturing now is a reproduction of the famous old tysco gold foil pickup yes and uh that's been one of my favorite pickups for a long time and i feel like that's a pickup that sounds great and i feel like that um it was completely by accident i i, <laughs> I feel like that it was uh it, I, that it 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 was almost one of those magic happy accidents where they just made a pickup uh, by chance that sounded amazing. I think I think so. I don't I don't think back then that particular company really paid that much attention to what. I don't think they really designed for sound. Yeah. Really. Although there are some funny parts inside that pickup that don't really have much of a uh, that much of a function. Uh, mm. Yeah, those pole pieces. Do they? Do those pole pieces e- even do anything? They, they, they do. Um, what it is is there's a there's a steel plate underneath the coil and magnet. There's a yeah. magnet inside the coil, a bar magnet inside the coil, yeah. facing the strings. And underneath that is a metal plate that fits all the way underneath the magnet, and it wraps up one side of the coil. Yeah, and it makes a little lump that has holes drilled into it that pole pieces go into. So so one side of the pickup is south up where the coil is, and then where the magnet touches that steel plate, the north side of the magnet wraps around over to the pole pieces. So it makes a real wide magnetic field. Oh, wow. Interesting. So, so if the strings are close enough to those pole pieces, and you raise them up and down, it would affect the the volume level a little bit. Hmm. Yeah. But it's not really so much... Uh, it's not quite the same as like a pole piece in a, like a Gibson humbucker. It's right. not quite as uh, effective. Yeah. But it does make that pickup, gives it a particular tone, and, and it's got a lot of output for how few it turns it has. It's right. clear sounding. Yeah, with real thin wire, what, like 44-gauge wire? Yeah, 44-gauge wire. There's not many turns on that. Yeah. And I know that, I think, or at least I think, that was in uh, uh, in the works for a while over there. Was that a hard pickup to to really get right? Um, it was It was hard in the fact that every every part had to be made. It's such a small pickup. The yeah. parts fit together real tight. So every part had to be made with a real close tolerance, and there's there's metal plates in there that are bent, and when you bend a piece of metal, it tends to spring back. Yeah. So so we had to get those the the bending uh, fixtures over bent so that when it sprang back, it was just right. Yeah. And so yeah, there was a lot of parts. Anytime you have to make a, a metal pickup cover, it's it's like. $10,000 for a tool. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So. Well, let's hear some sound clips. These are uh, right from your website, right from uh, lawlerguitars.com. And this is the gold foil, the Tysco gold foil, uh, played by Jeff Sen on 
a Sin Fullerton. It's like a, like a Strat-style guitar. No pedals, no EQ. That's how it's done. Uh, through a 73 Princeton. And here is the bridge pickup. Nice and clean through a 73 Princeton. Here it is in the middle position, so this is both pickups on uh, through the same setup. And now, and, and this is where I think this pickup really shines, is in the neck position. So here it is, neck position, same setup, same guitar. that translates okay in the podcast you know we run this through some audio processing and compression so if you want to hear it uh unadulterated uh then you can go to lawler's website lawlerguitars.com and there's sound clips for every pickup there but you know the best way to listen to those i think is to uh check them out with a, a good pair of headphones so uh check that out but that and that pickup just sounds great man it's got so much uh, detail and high-end clarity. Um, it, it just, it really sounds great, man. I, I love that pickup. Yeah, they got so much more top-end detail than most pickups. Yeah, 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 they really sound great. And the guy that brought that pickup to my attention was Ry Cooter. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. The first time I met David Lindley, first thing that came out of his mouth when he heard who I was, he said, do you make them Tysco pickups? <laughs> I yeah. did it at the time. That was quite a while ago. Oh, wow. That's cool. Well, um, what else is new over at Lawler, man? Is there anything in the works that uh, we could get a sneak peek uh, about? Um, well, um, what we let's see. We got um, a new mounting system for the uh, Tysco Gold Foil so that it'll fit into a P90 soap bar cover. Oh, cool. And a dog air cover, so it'll make, make it a little bit easier for people are mounting at different guitars. Yeah. Um, what we're really concentrating on right now is we, we bought a, a commercial building in Tacoma, and we're moving the shop uh, to Tacoma. Wow. That's been taking up most of our time. Oh, that's news. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. We, you know, we, 
where we work now, we're not we're not zoned correctly for oh. for what we got. So yeah, we decided to for what we could rent, we could buy in Tacoma. Oh yeah, wow. Is is there any plans to make? And you you probably get sick of this question, but is there any plans to do a a Dan Electro style lipstick tube pickup? Oh, you know, I've really looked into that several times, and um, I think I'm going to stay out of that one because I looked at you know that I was donated several fifties ones, and it looks like there, there's such a small space available inside that that pickup. Yeah, you got to make that that coil and wrap it with tape and you got to get it 100% exactly right every time or when you push it in there it breaks and hmm. there'll just be a whole lot of whole lot of uh, um, fall down what you call it um, yeah you know. that's a pickup or, that... or like a 2 out of 10 break when you put them in you know it starts eating in your oh that's a loss yeah um, that's a pickup that it doesn't have it doesn't have a bobbin right there's no bobbin on that thing. That is really unusual. Yeah. There's, well, you know, there's there's a few, one, one of the uh, ways of making pickups that they used to do, like the old uh, Epiphone New Yorker pickup, I don't know if you know what that is, probably yeah. have an idea what that is, but it was a bobbinless pickup, and, and what they did was they wound around a magnet into a, a little form on their machine, hmm. and the wire itself had an insulation on it that would... Um, break down like glue. You would squirt alcohol on it while you're winding it. Yeah. And the insulation would bond to itself. It's called bondable wire. Oh, wow. So you would wind this coil and then let it dry and you could pull the the, the form off and you'd just have a, a coil with no bobbin wrapped around a magnet. That's wow. Pretty much how it did. It's really messy. The, 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 the stuff goes flying all over the place. Huh. Do they still make that wire? They still make a, a poly, a modern version of it. They don't make the old, that old brown, yeah. you know, enamel magnet wire like that anymore. Interesting. So. Well, yeah. one final question. I've I've always wondered. You know, uh, I'm a big fan of your book here, and um, I haven't made the winder that actually I. I made my own pickup winder, but I haven't made exactly the one you've got in here, and I'm looking forward to doing that someday. But I wondered, uh, is this winder that's described in your book the same winder you guys use over at Lawler Pickups? Um, we, use, we use a variety of them. I used only that winder for many years. Yeah. I wound tens of thousands of pickups on it. Wow. And I still have three or four of them, and I use them for particular things. Yeah. But uh, now we use a, uh, we use a, a similar... It's it's a more heavier duty and industrial thing, but it's uh, something that was designed back in the twenties or thirties. Oh wow! And it's based on you know eighteen hundreds cam technology. It's it's kind of like a like a miniature Lisona or uh, you know like what Gibson used for the PAF. Wow! Um, uh, they're they're really they're not the kind of winder that lays a wire right next one layer next to each other like all the guys say machines do. It doesn't it's, work like that. Yeah, it does a, a scatter wound. It's more, it's more like simulating hand winding. That's what it does. Well, oh, that's interesting. Cool. Yeah. Huh. Great, man. Well, you know, I just I can't thank you enough for uh, for doing this interview. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me do it. Cool. Great. Thanks, Ernie. Yeah, we'll thank stop you. Stop by next time, gentlemen. Awesome. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Well, that does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. Visit me at fretfiles.com. Don't forget to participate in the podcast. 
You can do so by going to ericdaw.com, click the contact link, send me an email, or call the special phone number I've set up and leave me a voicemail. It is 757-774-8482. Thank you to Jason Lawler for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for Red with the Guitar News. I want to thank Michael Van Dieven over at ufoship.com for hosting this podcast and, of course, Emerald City Guitars for sponsoring this podcast. And I want to thank everybody that participated. Please participate in this podcast. I can't do it without you. And we'll see you next month. Thanks for listening. You are listening to The Fret Files, the guitar repair podcast with Eric Dahl.